Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. I would like to welcome Laura Nichols to the show today. She is a transition coach who focuses on radical authenticity. Laura's pronouns are she, her, and she identifies as queer in the LGBTQIA plus community. In her own life, she has walked away from fundamentalist Christianity coming out later in life, gotten a divorce, and left her school counseling career because of burnout to start her own coaching business. Laura focuses on helping others who are pivoting in their life by standing by them during their transitions. She holds space for them, reflects their thoughts and feelings back to them, and leads them through very intentional questioning to reveal their limiting beliefs and end goal desires to make a plan for the for, for building the beautiful life they want to create. Laura, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that story and welcome to the show. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. What a great introduction. Oh, I know. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, so Laura and I share something in common is we both came out later in life to the, front, uh, to the queer community and we both came out from Christianity. Um, and, and even though I didn't realize it at the time, I came out from conservative Christianity because my background is in Catholicism. Um, I want to hear a little bit about your coming out story. I think that's really important because you are an authenticity coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's funny coming out later in life because you, at least at the time, I'm 43 now, but I was 38 at the time. So I think a lot has even changed in five years. We had the pandemic, but at the time I thought I was a little crazy because I didn't have any modeling for someone realizing they were gay later in life. You know, I, I wasn't somebody who always knew and was just closeted. I genuinely was really surprised when I started having feelings for a woman. And there's so much like unraveling that I've done since then. But um, yeah, I was happily married. I had two kids. We had developed this really beautiful life. Um, You know, I had married my best friend because my mom said, that's what you do. So that's what I did. And um, then I met this woman and I was like, holy cow, like, what are these emotions? And um, I know that you can understand this. Like Mm -hmm. you go down this rabbit hole and right away, like I said, my husband and I were now ex-husband and I were really close. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And so we spent time navigating it and ultimately realizing that I could not give him what he needed and he could not give me what I needed. So we ultimately um, got a divorce. So um, that's the really shortened version. Clearly there's so much more to it than that. Um, But as you and I both know, community was such an important piece of that and just normalizing 
the journey and like what I was going through was um, an amazing part. Uh, and it was really something that I needed to mm-hmm. help me get through it healthily. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know what I would love to do is let's dive into more of this story because I know there's so much more to it, especially sure. coming out from fundamentalist Christianity. Um, I'm just quick question. Were you still practicing as a fundamentalist when all of that happened or were you out of the church for several years or even 20 years? Yeah, great question. So um, my history with fundamentalist fundamentalist Christianity was that I, my parents were actually kind of hippies. I myself became a Christian as a teenager for multitude of reasons. You know, looking back, it gave me sort of a barometer of where to be. Things, when you're a teenager, you crave black and white. It gave me black and white. So I felt a lot of security and it gave a kid who felt like she didn't really belong anywhere, a place to belong, right? Because church yeah. should be accepting everybody. Um, and I was really good at it. Like, you know, I quickly became a Bible study leader. You know, I was like the pastor's pet, essentially. Like I just, mm-hmm. you know, like I knew well, how to people yeah, and- and I can really understand because he probably knew that, and I'm assuming it's a he, if it's in a fundamentalist church, he probably knew you had hippie parents and he was like, you know, I'm sure he used you as like uh, an example of what, how God can work in your life and all Oh, sure. Yeah. I always had a, I always had a ride to church. Like I had no shortage of parents who wanted to drive me as, you know, to support this, you know, wayward teenager. Child. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it, yeah, but as I do in most things in my life, I dove right in and I got my hands dirty and I really took it on and took my relationship with God very, very seriously. And, um, that lasted most of the way through college where I was honestly training to be a missionary. I had gone to China to save people. And my plan was to work for an organization that that's what they did. And then somewhere between my junior and senior year of college, when your prefrontal cortex kind of starts to finally develop, right? I looked up one day and I was like, whoa, like I, this is not who I I am. Right. Like (laughs) I am not comfortable being able to tell someone that they're going to hell and I'm going to heaven and I'm right and they're wrong. And all of a sudden the dominoes started falling. And that um, was sort of my first really major pivot in my life. Um, And so it's interesting to look back now and see how I'm somebody who can't sit in a place that's inauthentic to me. Once I realize it, it very quickly affects my mental health, which is probably likely for a lot of people. Yeah, I would Um, assume. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm more sensitive to it, but definitely... I spent that whole summer in a fetal position crying. My mom didn't know what to do with me. I went back to college as a senior. I like left the Bible study I was teaching. I left the Bible study that I was a part of, which was like, you know, the forming you to be a missionary. I left the acapella group I was in because it was a Christian acapella group. My housemates thought I was crazy because they were all Christians. So I went back to a really lonely time because I had created this life in college. This is where, yeah, your community was. Did you go to a Bible college by any chance? no, I think goodness. Thank goodness. I was going to. Um, no, but um, I loved my school. It's a great school. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, I went to JMU in um, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Yeah, that's um, a great school. Loved it. It was. It's but so it's also in the Bible Belt of Virginia. Well, it's in Richmond. Richmond's not, but outside of Richmond, it's the Bible Belt of Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It is, it's in, it's in Harrisonburg, but which yeah. is a very um, 
gosh, it is a conservative town for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so then I met my husband and, um, it kind of like, in a way, I think he was really easy to lean on because I was already like without this whole community I'd been, I had, you know, I had been leaning on and I had been a part of, and he was a great man, like just really solid, very much like my father, you know, my mom had sort of implanted in my head, this love story, like you meet the man and then that day, you know, and so the day I met him, I called my mom and I said, well, I met the man I'm going to marry. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, okay. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then we were friends for a while. Then, you know, I'm a master manifester, so I just made it happen and we got married. And well, yeah, it, you definitely manifested that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Very much. I very much did. So, so yeah, I, so even though I was not practicing Christianity at the time, you know, fast forward, it's a lot of the building blocks to, to who I was as an adult. Right. And Absolutely. even, even now at 43, still seeing how it affected me and undoing it. Um, you know, so definitely a piece of the story for sure. Well, and I also think that, you know, one thing that we don't talk about is that when people, um, like I have heard so many hippies, hippie families, you know, people raised by hippies and what we're, I think what we're discussing probably, I think we should define what we mean by hippies. So for me, a hippie is, um, someone who has sort of a lot of no rules or disregard for the rules and are often very free spirited. Um, in our generation, parents were often potheads and, and all those things like that. And, right. um, and often have unconventional rules to living. Yeah. You know? I, you know, it's funny because I call them hippies, but they probably were really more in the middle than anything else. Yeah. I think I, I think I use that as like a juxtaposition to like what I went to. Um, but my point being is they, we didn't go to church. They were, mm-hmm. you know, they had their own stories about church that they had sort of done and left and their own reasons for doing so. Um, my mom will tell you about how they were the poor family in the church and she walked by as church leaders were talking about them being the poor family in the church. And she like never went back. She told her dad she was never going back. So they had their own feelings about religion. I, so I guess more than anything, I just mean that I was the odd one in that I went back to church when they were not churchgoers and well, they were yeah. incredibly supportive. Well, it wasn't normal. yeah. And also too, and so if they were not really typical hippies, a lot of times people really crave the order of church, you know? And so when you go to church too, and I, I agree with you, it's, it's a truly like, especially in fundamentalist Christianity, it is very black and white. Yes. So you do this, this, and this, you don't do this, this, and this. And, and also too, you know, when you're a teenager, often you're craving answers. So you come upon this, this institution that says that they have all the answers and, you know, we're naive. Like now as a grown person, you wouldn't like, I would be suspicious of any place that told me they had all the answers, but when we're young, we're young, we're like, oh, they have all the answers. And so, right. And you're looking for that stability, a hundred percent, you know, yeah. they don't ever say it. Teenagers don't say that they want that, but they do, you yeah. know, they really need that sort of, this is where, these are the boundaries. This is where you stay. And it definitely gave that to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading your introduction, I heard that you were struggling with burnout as a school counselor. So Ooh. talk about burnout and was it, po- was it during the pandemic? 
because a lot of teachers, a lot of people who were in the teaching ministry, something, you know, counseling were at the burnout and the pandemic. Yeah. So um, I'm sure that the pandemic had a lot to do with it because pre pan like, so I had been a school counselor for 16 years and pre pandemic, and I have jumped to all levels. I started in high school, went to middle, went to elementary, back to middle. So I've run the gamut. So I ended in middle school and I went from doing, you know, one, you know, screening for mental health, like maybe once a month to like almost daily. Mm -hmm. And, um, the parents were like, Laura, like my kid needs a therapist. There's no therapist. Like their wait lists are so long. And it was just the whole dynamic of the job really changed. Um, I didn't have time to do any of the proactive. Let's talk about mindset. Let's talk about goal setting. I mean, we did it a little bit, but really not effectively because our days were really taken up by reactive, you know, mental health issues. And even if kids weren't, um, you know, needed an assessment, they were needing something that we couldn't give. And the needs were so high and the teachers weren't okay. And administrators weren't okay. And let's be honest, parents weren't okay. Like the mental oh. health, the, the pandemic led to a mental health epidemic, really. Um, Which is still in full swing. Yes, I think yeah. we're still there. Mm -hmm. And I, when you are someone in like a serving role, somebody who's a helper, um, even if you think you have your self-care dialed in, mm -hmm. you know, you still may not. And I think that that's sort of what happened to me. It got to a place where I um, didn't want to go to work. I wasn't taking care of myself, the thought of my job, you know, and my, my coworkers and I really um, spent, we didn't have uplifting conversations. It was mostly like, how do we survive this terrible place? Which is so sad to say, because these kids are there for eight hours. So mm -hmm. if I'm feeling this way, what's, I mean, I'm sure that they're feeling it too. And, um, I got COVID mm -hmm. in like February or March. And so I was out for about a week and that was sort of the start of it. Like, Oh my God, like it was enough of a break that I was like, I don't think I do this that. anymore. Yeah. And so it just kept getting worse. And then finally, um, I had this a really bad situation where, uh, these two groups of girls were just really going at it. And I had tried to mediate, mediate, and then it just went really bad real fast. And I, it hit me really hard because this was my job and I wasn't effective at it and I hadn't helped the way I wanted to. And while obviously I can't carry their responsibility, I really felt it. And it hit me hard enough that, um, I left school halfway through the day and I was like, I gotta, uh, take a break. And I ended up having a doctor's appointment that coming Monday. And I, my doctor and I are really close. She's seen me through everything. You know, she has seen me for the last, you know, eight years. So she's been through all of it with me. And she took one look at me and she's like, well, you, you have to take some leave. Like you need a break. And I already like knew that, but um, it was, it felt like it was nice to hear somebody else support that and say, yeah. And so I got my paperwork. I went straight back to school and I handed it to my principal and I was like, I have to take a leave of absence. And um you know, my end goal was always to get my therapy license. And so I started looking into that while I was on leave. And then just through various things, pivoted to coaching, mm -hmm. um, as I talked to other therapists, and I talked to um, that, and it just felt like a really beautiful way to still be helping, but to like, 
be doing it in a different direction where I could still be caring for myself and, um, you know, caring for others as well, but in a healthy way. You know, mm-hmm. that first month that I came home from work, I slept. Yeah, Besides yeah. taking care of you were children. Exhausted. I'm sure yeah, I was exhausted. Yeah, hundred percent. So mm-hmm. yeah. Such so burnout stress, is such is a real. stress. It's burnout is real and it was such a stressful time too as well. And you know, I my my best friend sent me the openings and my I'm in a big county, but there's 42 counselor openings as of yesterday in my county, which wow. I've never seen the need that high. Um, so in a way there's a little bit of guilt for having left, but it's just unsustainable, you know? Well, and, and and we can go into a long talk about this, but I also feel like teaching is unsustainable because women have been the majority teachers and, and you could see the full brunt of the patriarchy on our teachers when during the pandemic and how shitty they were taught. They were taught. They were, um, what word am I looking for? They were treated. They were treated. And, um, and if this, that was a male profession, that would not have happened the way it did in the field profession. So, yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me about who you're coaching for coach coaching now. And you know, how, how did you start that? So you decided to go into the coaching business because of the burnout and you, you know, rejected like doing the whole therapeutic route. You have the skills, you don't need to do that. Um, so tell me about who you coach and, and what are you helping them do? Yeah, sure. So um, it's so funny because when you think about coaching, you go through this whole process of like, who is my person? Like, who do I want to help? And at first you're like, I want to help everybody. And yeah, everybody does that at first. Right, right. And then they're like, well, you have to pick a niche. And you're like, I don't want to box myself in. But as you go through the journey and you start to kind of figure out your language and figure out really where your gifts lie, I think that's when you can hone in on your niche. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I found was that my language was really about, you know, mindset editing and pivoting. And where that came from was when I was trying to figure out um, if I was gay or queer or whatever, I had therapy, but I didn't need therapy. I really needed a coach, but I didn't even know that was a thing at the time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I think of myself as is, what I needed, right? Somebody who- Our ideal client is always ourselves. Yeah, isn't it? Um, And and I don't know, people have called me the queen of the pivot. So I think that that's probably why that's my target, you know, client is somebody who's in the midst of transition and um, just really needing to figure out where they are and what they feel and sift through all of that stuff. Um, You know, I didn't need- I didn't necessarily have a diagnosis. I just needed someone who could hold space for me and could ask me really insightful questions and whose emotions I didn't have to carry. Because what I found was in the midst of all of my own emotions, I'm also carrying the emotions of my husband. I'm carrying my emotions of my catalyst, which of course, you know, that's who, what we call the woman who helps us realize that we're not, we may not be straight. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, so I, and because I'm empathetic, I'm carrying around everybody's emotions and I needed someone that I didn't have to worry about what they thought there wasn't judgment. They were simply holding space and allowing me to be a hundred percent me and, and really to be able to get my hands dirty with, you know, Mm um, it is a dirty process change. Any transition in life is dirty because it's, not like this black and white thing that we wish it was. It's 
there's a lot of feelings, a lot of different directions you can go, a lot of actions you can take. There's stuff to uncover from your past, like, you know, possible Christianity, like whatever. Mm -hmm. It's dirty and you need someone who can give that to you. So my ideal client is someone who is going through something similar, whether they want to change careers or they're in the middle of life and it just doesn't feel good and they don't know what that means. Or they're like, holy crap, like I think I might be gay. Or, hey, I don't think that monogamy really works for me. Like, I feel like there's something more. Like, I want to look into ethical non-monogamy. So any of those like sort of just big, I think I need to make a pivot. Those are, those are my people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So what has been the biggest challenge in starting this business for you? Okay. (laughs) Just one, just one. Um, Um, As many as you want to, because I really want this show to be real because, you know, a lot of times people go into coaching naively um, thinking that it, This is a full-time, if you're going to do this right, it is a full-time business. I really like when people go into this business with the background that you have. I think it's important to have some sort of counseling background or educational background, or you're really used to setting professional boundaries. You know how to, you know how to lead a small group. All those things I think are really, really helpful. And and I want to be really clear, not to say that you can't learn those things, but I think it's easier to become a coach when you already know those things. Mm, you know, wow, that is such a good point. And you just gave me something to be like, have some gratitude towards because um, this process has been incredibly challenging. And But mm-hmm. what I would say is it's, it's not the coaching piece. For me, what you're saying, yeah, the coaching piece is easy, you know, right. especially as a, you know, school counselor for 16 years and you know, you're an You've got all those student. Yeah, <laughs> the skills are there, right? Um, if anything, you just have to tweak, you know, counseling versus coaching a little bit, right? Like there are different absolutely. And and I I don't know if you I had to like that's like some of my blog pieces I have is about coaching versus therapy and stuff like that because I had to work against my own prejudices as a coach. <laughs> as I, I had prejudices against those, and so. But what was really interesting, Laura, that happened to me is when I changed my wording to coaching, I got so much more business because my my um, prejudice against it, you know, I kept calling myself a counselor, a minister, all that stuff like that. But as soon as I changed my language to coaching, my business took off. That is so interesting. So I thought, yeah, you know what? That speaks to so much about our own feeling our own feelings about something affecting reality. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, Which is like a whole, I feel like we should dive into that. That's a whole nother episode. I know it really is, but like really do another episode of it. We should, we obviously should, but that really speaks to how your biases about something or my biases about something affect like how we live. But um, yeah, well, I had my own biases as well. I think when you come from the mental health field, you do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Someone had told me about coaching, gosh, like 10 years ago now. And I was like, dang, that's like not a real thing. Yeah. But if it was, I'd be really good at it. <laughs> so I like put it on the back burner. Um, but the hardest thing has not been the coaching. It's just, it's been being a business person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you are in education for 16 years, like I was a really good counselor, but if I hadn't have been, I still would have gotten paid. You yeah, know, like absolutely. I still, yeah. still would have gotten a paycheck. Um, but I did pride myself on being really good at my job. But this, like there's so much to how do you market and 
figuring out that you really do have to have a niche because less, you know, once you like target people, then your people come. But if you're like, I take anyone, then people are like, how can you help me? It's yeah, reverse it's psychology. Very, it yeah. really is people. And, and it's also being afraid of claiming that niche sometimes. Yeah. Um, like um, when I first, I mean, like I could do a bunch of stuff, but I really, until I, and, and until I like niche down to people coming out later in life and um, it really wasn't until that success, that success happened. And like, I was really resistant to niching because I'm like, I can help everybody. I know. <laughs> but, I know. but, but the thing is, is your ideal client or the person that you want to serve wants to know that you can serve them. Yeah. And wants to know that you're an expert. Um, right. And which is funny because in the coaching world, really the client's the expert. And we know that, like, we know that they have it within them, but they want to feel like you're the expert, um, which I understand, right? Like you kind of throwing money at something and hoping it will stick. You want to know that you're going to get a result. Um, and so really you and I could coach anybody, but the, mm -hmm. the clients want to know that you understand their pain point and you understand where they're coming from and that you can get them from A to B. Um, and so that's been hard for sure. Like, but interestingly enough, out of nowhere in the last two weeks, um, a pain point has come up, which I was really blind to, but I'm not sure why. I came from school counseling and I have my own teenager. And yet in my mind, coaching teens was not something that I could really do. But all of a sudden I was being reached out to by these parents who were like, I need help with this. I'm like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a therapist if they need therapy. But all of a sudden I was like, well, let me put together a program for, um, you know, high school students, like let's dial in on goal setting let's dial in on mindset, editing all the stuff that your school counselor wants to teach, but doesn't have time for, doesn't have time to. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like I've gotten so many inquiries, so many business, like, can you help my kid? Can you help my kid? So really interesting that sometimes your business comes when you least expect it. And also that I've learned how to also have to pivot in my business. Because clearly I'm putting out something that's calling, like I'm obviously manifesting yeah, obviously. realizing it. Well, right? yeah. And you're the pivot queen, right? Yeah. So, right. Like, but the thing is, is that I think sometimes we need to be open to it. Like, and actually it's interesting because you put up resistance at first. I did. I did. And, and, and parents who, parents are looking for stuff like that. And kids are looking for stuff like they that. They are. My goodness, I think our school system is a little bit in a mess these days. And so they can't, I'm being trying to be politically correct. You are, you mean, <laughs> I, I say it has to burn down to the ground and build yeah. back up, but that's how I say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, parents want our kid, their kids to have that, you know, and, you know, gosh, teenage years is nothing but a pivot, you know, well, and that's, and that's what, yeah, that's what I say. Like, talk about a transition. I mean, that's like just one massive transition from childhood to adulthood. So it, it makes sense and it, it fits into my energy. Um, and I'm glad to help. I think why I was resistant was I was so tired. Like I had been a school counselor and so I was exhausted. So the last thing I wanted, I thought that I wanted to do was jump back into that role. But what I realized is I was tired of not actually being a school counselor, right? Like I was tired of not getting to do those things that. Um, I wanted to do, which is let's talk about how the brain works. Let's talk about how to choose our thoughts. Let's talk about 
how to manage our time, you know, these skills that you're going to need as an adult. Like, and I wasn't getting to do that in my job, which is why I was burnt out because the, the stuff that you wanted to do as a school counselor wasn't happening. So it makes sense now, but at the time I was like, why is to me? Well, yeah. And, and, and also too, I mean, as a mother of four kids, um, there is a lot more things that you have to do in your job as a school professional that have nothing to do with what you've been trained for. You know, I mean, like the things teachers have to do that has nothing to do with all the education they have or anything like that. And so it, it's, it's absolutely exhausting. And also too, when you're the difference between like, like being a counselor and coaching is that you're sort of in charge of your own schedule too, which is really lovely. So, you know, it's very hard for people that are in the educational world to take time off to do something in the middle of the day because it's very complicated. But, you know, when you're being a coach, you're sort of, you're in charge of your schedule and you can, you can schedule your schedule around it, which is really, really wonderful. You know, that's, that's probably my best, my, what has been like, it didn't start out this way by any stretch of the imagination, but what has happened is I've created the life I've always wanted. Like, Oh, I love that. I can work from anywhere. I can work from anywhere. I have worked from in. I've worked from my daughter's house. I've worked here. You know, I mean, like I can't, we, my son was, was around like a couple summers ago. I worked at a vacation place. I mean, I also have to learn to take time off too, because I, I could work. I'm a work. I can work a lot. Well, uh, when you own a small business, I think that's really normal. It's hard to shut it off because it's your baby, right? Right. Like, you have right. To walk away. Right. And you, and you can't. And, and when you're in the beginning of it too, you're so worried that if you don't respond right away, you know, you might lose this person. And so I've gotten much more relaxed about that. Mm, But the thing is, is that, um, you know, really it was never my intention, but what ended up happening is I created the life I always wanted in the sense with my work life too. Like, you know, because I always hated to have to like ask for PTO off. I mean, like, I know most people are like, I like, you have no idea how much I hated to do that because, you know, it was really hard to me because I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't have to ask my work permission to be able to go see my kid be in a play, you know, I just never wanted to do that. And so now things have really changed. And that for me has been the best part about owning my own business. So for you, what's been the best part? Yeah. You know, um, so I'm still fairly early in. Um, and so I'm definitely in the thick of the weeds right now, Mm -hmm. um, in the roller coaster, which is fun. Uh, but my favorite, I have two favorite parts of my business. One is seeing my clients grow and change. Like I could live and breathe off of that food forever, which is probably means I'm in the right place. Right. Um, and the other thing that I just, I've really, really enjoyed is the people that I've met who have become my people through this process, like other business women, um, who I've met through mm-hmm. networking. I have met the coolest people. I know me too. Like so this- cool. Yes. yes. <laughs> like there's just something about the type of people who are willing to feel a fear and do it anyway, mm-hmm. and chase a dream who must be my people because 
um, I've just like made some really amazing connections through this journey. So those are the two things that I think right now I'm so thankful for. Um, yeah, I mean, I love being able to, it, it's a hard balance working and like I have, my kids are, what are they now? 11 and 15. And, you know, being a mom, that's difficult. And also I have a partner. So being a partner and doing all that stuff, um, because I'm in that place that you spoke of where you feel like you have to do it or it's going to fail. Um, but you know, I, somebody at my old school passed away, um, you know, several months after I left, but far enough into my business career that I had been doing all this hard work. And when I say hard work, I don't mean that in a, with a bad connotation. I just mean like, there's a lot of work that comes with owning a business, but I was working hard and, um, they were like, wow, you look so great. And I was like, huh, that's really weird. Cause I've like, you know, I've gained weight, which like, that's a whole thing. Like I definitely compare usually when I lose weight, death and people say you look good. That's a whole thing. But I was like, that's weird. And I was like, oh my gosh, because even though this is stressful, I'm choosing the stress, right? Like I'm, I'm yeah. choosing to do this. Like I believe in this. Um, I know I can help people. I know that um, I can help a lot of people. And so it was just really interesting that even though it was stressful, it, I still mental health wise, it's, it's what I need to be doing and it's beneficial. So, um, well, you yeah. know, well, well it, it, I also like, so what I notice because like when, when I first start with working with some women, they get on and the calls and they look, frankly, they'll say it themselves like shit because yeah. they're in a really horrible place. And then one day they'll get on the call and they look so beautiful. I love it. And I think, you know, I think the reason why your colleague said you look so good is because you're happy and happiness shows through, like it, it shows through and what, and it has nothing to do with weight, which is so acculturated within. It. I know, I know. It's so freaking, inc- like I am I the know. heaviest I've ever been in my life. And I feel because my wife loves me so much and tells me how beautiful I am all the time. Um, I've never felt prettier and it's, and I'm also the oldest I've ever been. And so like every kind of like thing we're not supposed to be, um, I don't care. And I feel like, I think it's because I feel seen, I feel validated and but I also am seen by myself and I'm validating yeah. myself. And I also realize weight has nothing to do whether somebody's beautiful or not. Like, yeah. And, and that's, that's like my schooling in the lesbian community, which has been I, that. Okay. I think not that you asked, but that's like my favorite thing about being part of the LGBTQ community is like, I have never felt more beautiful in my entire life. Yeah. And it's so like you, I care so much less about, what people think and I get to just own me and like yeah like there's this st- it's just it's so freeing you know like I like don't get me wrong I love my I love my straight friends mm-hmm. I do but there is something like to be said when I get to hang out with like just my queers and like you just like I don't know it's just this really beautiful like everyone gets to be who they want there's like no like well, do I need to wear this or do I need to wear this? How? Do well, I yeah, you show could up? show up in a bathing suit. You could show yeah. up in a tuxedo, and nobody would care. I love it. Oh, and, I love it And so I much. think, yeah, I, I, 
I, that is really, and, and, and you can't explain it unless you've experienced, but yeah. I think because both of us lived in straight world for such a yes. long time, I think kid like people who always have been in queer world, like my wife, like she doesn't, she, she knows it exists, but she doesn't feel it as deeply as I do, you yes. know, people just don't care. And, but, and it's really funny, like, you know, like I'm on this call today, have absolutely no makeup on. <laughs> Like none didn't. I did take a shower because I had to do three of these today and do my hair. But I like 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 years ago, I would have never done a video with absolutely no makeup on. You know, I just never would have done that. And so it's it's been a really interesting transition from just being so anxious about how I look and how I present myself to being in a place where, (laughs) you know, what I I mean, I care, but I don't. It's yeah. not like my whole, it doesn't take up a lot of my energy, you know? Right. Well, I think, I think the difference is when you care because you care about yourself and you want to feel good for yourself rather than showing up as something for somebody else. It's a completely different energy, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interestingly enough, when I first came out, I like stopped wearing like makeup and I was like, should I cut my hair short? And like, how do I dress? I don't know if you went through that too, but like, it was a lot of like, who am I now? Um, and I actually didn't, I just started wearing like lipstick again. And I was like, I like this. Like, I like the way it looks. So it's interesting that there's like this pendulum. Well, there's pendulum more fluidity thing. with that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to talk to you um, about a couple of other things. And sure. one thing I think um, is that I feel that going through this later in life experience has made me absolutely fearless. Oh my gosh. I was just talking to you. I I just had a client like an hour ago and we were just talking about that. And, um, you know, normally it's super client centered, but he, I let him ask me a couple of questions and, um, and I said something about coming out later in life. I made the decision at that point that I was not going to make decisions based on fear ever again, that I was, that I was going to dive in, get messy feel like, listen to my intuition. And because I had, you have so much less capacity to deal with inauthenticity. Once you have realized something really big about yourself. Um, like I just can't, you can't bullshit anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. not that I ever could, obviously it was something that I struggled with way back when anyway, but, um, I just, yeah, like, I don't think that I would be trying to run my own business. Um, if I hadn't come out, um, I think it really kind of was part yeah. of the journey at the stage to like, be like, you know what? I came out, got divorced, which I thought was the worst thing ever. And I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. Well, yeah, I, it, it creates, I think, because once you push past all the, like so many things that I feared, you know, getting divorced, changing my family, admitting that I was gay. I mean, so many things that I deeply, deeply feared for a long time. Once I did that, like, I like, I don't, and I also know how to take care of myself now when, um, if something is not feeling right for me or not feeling, um, or if I'm getting like, I, if, so I'm, what I'm thinking about right now is that I did some ads on Facebook and there were so many hates, hate on it, so much hate that from the straight community and um or people who saw this ad and I'm like you know what I don't really need to do this <laughs> this is you know 
why am I doing this? And, you know, um, and also too, I don't have the energy to feel like I don't need to put myself out there and get shit on by people. I just don't, you know, I can do it another way. This is not going to be a viable way for me to advertise my services on Facebook. Uh, I'm just not going to be, I was so, so, I was sort of stunned by it too, because there was Mm. a lot of vitriol and stuff like that. And, you know, some people were like, but that's what you want because you want controversy because you'll get no. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. That just doesn't fit with who I am as a human being. You know, um, I'm okay dealing with controversy now. It took me a while, but, um, I'm like, you know, this doesn't feel good and I don't have to do this. Yeah, no, and it was really so, such a, it was so amazing. Yeah. For me. yeah it was. A, yeah. Like, yeah. And I took them down. I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is not, this isn't a good fit for me or my yeah. business. Yeah. And you get I'm to make that decision. Isn't and that a great? That's the yeah. best part. And like, you could have like left it up because you were afraid, like, this is how you were marketing and you needed to do this. And this you is how they said to do it. You had made a decision to market the, yeah. But no, now you get to like, look at yourself, sit in your intuition and say, you know what? I don't have to, there's other ways. Yeah, and it's absolutely. Really yeah. beautiful to have grown to that place because of, you know, a hard thing that, a hard and beautiful thing that we both went through at some point, yes. you know, cause let's be honest, like coming out later in life is hard. Like it's not it this is. coming easy. out is hard no matter when yeah. you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, That's very true. But there's, but there's also a universality of it that, that it's very similar experiences, whether you come out as a 15-year-old or a 75-year-old. And that's what I have noticed working with our pop this population for so mm-hmm. long. Such a universality to this experience. So Lauren, I Laura, I'm so I'm apologize. Uh Laura, okay. like what would advice would you give to somebody, you know, who's thinking about starting a business like this? Mm. Especially, and I sort of want to focus from your background your, your educational background and professional background. That's so interesting. I have a call later today with a school counselor who is done <laughs> and wants to know about coaching. Well, good. Um, now you'll have an answer for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think the most important thing to know is that, um, the roller coaster is normal and it's really just how it's going to go. And you have to be client zero, right? Like you have to be able to take yourself through the thought work of this thought's working for me. This thought's not working for me. It's giving me these feelings that I don't want to have. Um, And be, just know like it's, it's a, it's unlike anything you've ever done. Um, And your why should be really strong, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. your why needs to be really strong to carry you through the, the hard stuff. And I think the why sometimes pivots a little bit too. Like yeah. the why you start with in the beginning, I can help everybody right. to, to where you end up in your niche. And sometimes your niche doesn't stay the same niche the entire time, but all those skills are transferable, you know? 100%, 100%. And how about as a queer entrepreneur, what advice would you give? Ooh, that's a really good one. You know, I um, I found myself struggling with, Cause you know, gosh, the stupid heteronormative world that we live in. Like, it's like you're coming out all the time. I found myself re like getting re nervous about it. If that makes sense. Like I had 
you know, I was out at school. I ran the GSA at my school. Like all the teachers knew I was queer, gay, you know, whatever label I was going by at the time. And it was not a thing. Like I had navigated that. And then starting a business, it was almost like having to re-navigate it all over again. Um, And I was not expecting that fear to crop up because I thought that I had worked through it. And um, it's been really interesting. And I think part of it is that I live in the South. Um, yeah. and Where you, do you live? I'm in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And so you don't really know how you're going to be received. I haven't really had any bad reception. Like I've been really fortunate, but I still know it's there. And so I, I think I didn't expect to have those feelings of like almost wanting to be closeted again or yeah. like being like tiptoeing out, you know? Um, but honestly, when I am showing up authentically, um, especially since radical authenticity is a big focus of mine, right. Um, it's always better. It's always better just to be who I am, but I didn't expect to have those fears again. I thought I was like way past that and they cropped up again. So that was interesting for me. For, you know, I think about you know, what you're doing and and stuff, it sounds like that, you know, if you think about sharing your queerness, there's concentric circles, right? And you were going outside your bubble to share with people that, you know, you you didn't know how they were going to react and stuff like that. And, and as, as queer women, we often come out constantly, like all the time constantly especially if you wear makeup and, and like yeah you know, especially if you wear makeup and you don't yeah. dress particularly butch or something right. like or even masculine of center or even sporty yeah. I mean, you know so a lot of times especially the femme lesbians often come out so much like in they come out their children's school they come out at work and and all that and so I think it's like sharing that part of ourselves with um the next line of our circle it's awesome yeah but the thing is is you've done that already and most likely your coaching clients will be from all over the place so you know I think that sometimes we worry about like the immediate town because I'm in Nashville and Nashville's a blue bubble but I'm also Ooh, I love Nashville like, cover it convert you know very um uh conservative state so um but I but the thing is with what I do I have to be out with <laughs> to be totally out and so I am and so I'm used to it but it's been a little nerve-wracking being in my coach's space because nobody there is queer I'm the only one and really yeah because I'm really focusing on growing through sales and stuff like that so I'm with a real business like a listen I'm a real business person but someone who does that like comes at it from a business perspective. And so for the first time in my life, for the first time in this business journey, I am showing up as a queer space person in the heteronormative space. And sometimes it's honestly uncomfortable, but I'm just like, you know, I'm also like F it and just, you know, but it's, it's very interesting experience and, 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 and also feeling the nervousness, the hesitation, but you know, I just have to, I, there's, I have no choice. I have to work through yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, listen, we've, we've, we've done all the hard work before. Yeah, It's absolutely. just like, it's more just unexpected. Like, oh, really? Okay. I guess I'm navigating this again and didn't realize, but that's a really good point because you're right. I, m- most of my marketing is social media and yeah. So it's definitely going out to like strangers I've never met. And, um, typically my highest view 
um, reels or TikTok videos are typically ones where I mention like, this is what I've come through. You know, this is uh, sort of part of my journey. And so it's obviously something for good or for bad, but it's something that connects to people, obviously. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't, I definitely didn't expect it. Like I, yeah. I thought I had sort of navigated it. Yeah, there it shows up again. Well, Laura, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's really yeah. nice to talk to a beginning entrepreneur and who's beginning to grow their business. And I really appreciate your realness around this. I deeply appreciate that because I think you're sharing a lot of what people in the beginning experience. And I really appreciate that you came on the show today. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Come on the other show. Love it. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.